Welcome to A Midwife Life. I'm Courtney. And I'm Rosalind. We're bringing together a community of midwives to learn, grow, and have fun in the shared experience of living a midwife life. Hey, Rosalind. Hey, Courtney. What are we going to talk about today? So the plan for today is that we are going to talk about having conversations with women about the female body. And then we're also going to include in that a conversation about conception. Oh, this is great, Courtney, because I was just reading Aviva Rahm's book. And I was just startled at some of the things that I read in her book on botanical medicine and women's health. There's a chapter called A Woman's Body, Anatomy and Hormones. And Aviva Rahm, she talks about how women's bodies, they're so strong, powerful, capable. I mean, these are some of the reasons why I'm a midwife and in love with the female body and what it's capable of. But then she talks about how the female body, historically, it has been shrouded in myth, mystery, magic, misunderstanding across many cultures and time periods. There can be a lot of taboos around the female body. A great example of that is breastfeeding and the fact that it is such a controversial topic and where women sometimes are asked to cover up when they're feeding their baby in a restaurant. It's just ridiculous. I can relate in that as a midwife and also a breastfeeding mother, I find it really interesting from a personal perspective that I feel comfortable breastfeeding in public, but I also spend a lot of time thinking about how other people are going to feel about me breastfeeding in public, which I don't necessarily think is an inappropriate thing, but it's a sad thing that I have to consider, like, how uncomfortable am I going to make that person sitting next to me if I feed my baby right here? Right. And that person might be looking at a magazine that has female models that have ginormous breasts that are scantily covered. And yet you have to worry about how they're judging you by feeding your baby. We've gone off the rails, in my opinion. I completely agree. But like you touching on your personal experience and the way that you feel, it is also important to take that into consideration with each woman that we're talking with and dealing with they might not be comfortable that like, I love the word vagina. In fact, I like to go vagina, 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 (laughs) vagina. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, you, it's really important as a midwife that you understand a woman's comfort level, even her understanding of her own anatomy It's a sad truth that a lot of people don't even really understand how their bodies work or know how to identify body parts with correct terminology. There are a lot of women that definitely do not know their female anatomy. And this is not off topic, but I remember watching an episode of Orange is the New Black where one of the a whole new hole, a whole nother hole, a whole nother hole is exactly what the episode is called, where the one woman is explaining to the rest of the women in the prison about the whole oh. other hole. Oh, there's a whole nother hole. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have actually had this experience with a client. I mean, clearly it, that is a common misunderstanding. Right. And so we can joke about it and laugh about it. 
Um, but it's also something to really take into consideration. (laughs) Educate people. Yeah. and And the educational system needs to be better about teaching women and men, girls and boys about what what is going on with both sexes anatomy. In women's health, we're talking to women all the time. They're often a part of a bigger family, mothers, sisters, daughters, and encouraging them to make talking about our bodies a regular thing and not something that is scary or off limits. Right. And some things perhaps if when you're counseling families about is to talk to them about just using appropriate terminology from the very beginning. And so then it is just something that is normalized and that kids are aware of and you don't have a talk at one time, you know, it should be a conversation, a a conversation that is continual and evolving based on where they are and their understanding. And also just keeping in mind of like, we're all at different levels and different understanding. And it's our jobs as midwives to have a really solid understanding of how the body works, but then to learn from the person sitting across us what their understanding is and meet them where they are. Absolutely. And then the other piece of it too, is to remember that as, as comfortable as we are as midwives and saying the word vagina, it's also okay to talk about the vagina using the words that our clients are using. If they are calling their vagina they're downstairs. It's okay for you to say that too, because clearly that's how they're comfortable expressing it. And yeah, maybe sometimes we say vagina, but we shouldn't be aware if we are making people uncomfortable when we're saying it. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about just um, clarifying and going, oh, are you talking about your vagina and that? And then if that's like making them uncomfortable, then to go to talking to with the term that they're comfortable with. Uh, That's a great point. And Cordy, Do you know what the word vagina means? I do not. Okay. I didn't know this either until I was reading Aviva Rahm's book. And I am like so ticked off. So the word vagina, it means sheath for a sword. Sheath for a sword? Seriously? for a sword. All right. And... So I don't know if you're familiar with the word yoni that's used a lot within midwifery books. That's really interesting. You know, I've obviously read all those books um, and seen that term, but never really looked into why that was how they were referring to vagina. Right. Like why were they referring? Why did they change the word vagina to a yoni? So what does yoni mean? Um, yes. So yoni is a Sanskrit word and it means vulva, but it's um, used as a symbol of divine procreative energy. And so that is a term that I think a lot of people can get behind other than referring to something as the sheath for a sword. I definitely like that definition better. I do too. And as we go along, we'll be pointing out a lot of the other male driven words that are used to define a female body and or maneuvers. And Courtney, going along the lines of taboos, why do women orgasm? I can honestly say that I have not spent a lot of time thinking about the why of why women orgasms. I feel strongly that women deserve and should always experience orgasms. But I haven't considered if there's like a purpose other than enjoyment, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. And when uh, researching for this episode on conception, I came across this work by these researchers, they're British biologists. Uh, One is Robin Baker and the other is Mark Bellis. And they were looking into why females orgasm because the question is, is it beneficial at all for um, conception? And what they came across is that, yeah, they believe that when a woman orgasms, that she actually retains more of the ejaculate from that male. And so there is a benefit potentially to um, conceiving if you have an orgasm. That is totally interesting. I thought so too. And I think something to keep in mind, you know, for families that perhaps just pregnancy is taking a little bit longer to happen than they were expecting. And when that happens, there's so many ways now that you can test to see if you're ovulating and then to be like, okay, you know, 24 hours, we've got to get in there, get the guys in there and try to conceive and to tell people like, hey, there's actually some benefit if you can just try to enjoy the moment and take some of that pressure off and try to reach orgasm and and find some pleasure in it and not just try to go through the mechanical process. That's really great because I know that it can become stressful suddenly sex becomes more of a job or a chore than what it may have been previously. So something to think about and to ponder. Hmm, Why do women orgasm? I really like it. it. Right. And that brings us into conception, which we want to really talk about and cover today because it's something that you need to understand as a midwife and be prepared for when you're sitting down to take the test and We know that conception is that magical moment when the sperm and the egg, they unite. (laughs) That's right. And we're not going to get in today talking about women's cycles and ovulation and menstruation. Instead, um, we're going to save that for a future episode and just jump into some of the changes that happen at the time of conception. So the first thing to talk about when we're talking about conception is the lifespan of an ovum and a sperm. Ooh, other things to think about other than just orgasming. How long does it... Slightly more boring. (laughs) Right. How long? What is the lifespan? Courtney, what is the lifespan of an egg and sperm? An egg's lifespan is 24 hours, which when you stop to think about it, that means that you really have a short window of time where conception is a possibility. It's amazing that there are so many pregnancies, really, when you think about that. Right. And 50% that are unintended pregnancy. I mean, that makes it even more amazing. Yeah, totally. And then for a sperm, the lifespan is up to five days. Right. Those little stinkers. And that's how you can get some variation in the actual date of conception is because those sperm can be in there waiting um, for five days. And when you try to explain this to a client who says, I know for certain my conception date, watch as you blow their mind. Because you're like, okay, I know that you had sex on Christmas Eve and that that was really great, but you actually might not have (laughs) ovulated (laughs) until the day after Christmas. (laughs) Mind blown. And that is also why the fertility window is so long. One, because ovulation can be somewhat variable, even with the same woman, but also because 
of the lifespan of a sperm. And Courtney, before we were recording this, I just love that you were sharing the story of how you visualize a sperm and egg meeting. Can you yes. share that again for everyone? Okay, so hopefully some of you get this reference, but the movie Look Who's Talking. So love the, that movie. The very first scene in that movie is a bunch of sperm swimming, 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 and then they all get to an egg and they're trying to break through it and, you know, the strongest shall survive and makes it through. And then the next scene is a baby crying. And I think that that stuck with me. I watched it. I mean, I've seen that movie a ton of times, but I feel like the first time I saw it, I was probably like eight. And I still vividly remember watching that for the first time and clearly being amazed. And now here I am a midwife. Right. I have to go back and watch that scene because I can visualize it as well with you describing it. So Courtney, tell me, like, where does fertilization take place? We we talk about the sperm swimming around and the egg hanging out and ovum being released. But I mean, where, where are they uniting? Where is that magical moment happening? So this typically happens in the fallopian tubes, or as some may know it as the uterine tubes, the oviducts, or the salpinges. <laughs> Love. Is that the correct way to say it? You know, I have no idea. I saw that as well. Maybe one of our listeners can correct us if we're mispronouncing it. I love that there's like often five different names for the same thing. That right. really helps when you're a student and you're struggling to remember things. But yeah, so many different ways. Um, but really, it's all the reference. same place. It is Just all the so same we're clear. Thing. Exactly. The fallopian tubes is where I think of it. Yes. All right. Right. And so once that moment happens where they're united, or then we're talking about a zygote. That is what's formed when the egg <clears throat> when the egg has been fertilized by the sperm. And that process of fertilization, it'll occur over a period of time of like 18 to 24 hours. And there are some great videos I would love for people to share like this time of uniting and cell dividing that we're going to talk about because it's a little bit hard, I think listening to really if you're not if you don't have a solid understanding a picture really is worth a thousand words and there are some great videos out there that show the egg and the sperm uniting and everything that the cascade of events that happens after that so um, the zygote it begins as a single cell and it contains 46 chromosomes and 23 of those are coming from the ovum and 23 of those are coming from the sperm and I just like to think, I mean, think about that. We're talking about this single cell and it is coming together from an ovum and a sperm. They're coming together and now the complete genetic material of what will be a baby, what is each of us, was completely formed at that moment. Truly mind-blowing when you think about it and how complex that process really is. Right. And how often it works right. I know that miscarriages are fairly common and chromosomal defects also occur, but really it's incredible how many times this really complex process goes right. And you know, women who say when they're coming for their first visit, how tired they are and how they feel like they can't do anything and they're so tired. Explain this process to them. Right. You are creating a human being from... You are working so hard. Right. Yeah. So hard. So hard. It may be right. at a microscopic level, but you are working your tush off. Absolutely. Let's just talk about how the 
sex of a baby is determined. Okay. So the ovum or the egg contains only X chromosomes. That's right. Right. It's and not up to the woman what the sex of the baby is going to be. Okay. Not one iota. Right. I wish we could go back in time and like pound that out in stone for everybody to know. Like stop <laughs> blaming women and men for if you're all not these getting ladies sons. being born. <laughs> right. It's not our fault. Then the sperm contain an X and a Y chromosome. And then one of those, either an X or a Y, is joined with one of those X's. And then that's how we determine, are we going to be a boy or a girl? So XX is a girl and XY is a boy. Something to really think about and to also talk to your pregnant um, clients about it. Or at a 20-week visit to, to talk about at that time, that fetus has all of the eggs that she'll have for the rest of her life. And so your future babies are inside a mother, you know, like it's really incredible that we have all of that when we're in a 20-week gestation. The process is truly mind-blowing and the intricacies of things like that, like little fun facts are mind-blowing. I want to take a minute to talk about something that I think is really better depicted in like a drawing or maybe in a video of some kind, but I'm just going to say it out in words and then in our show notes um, or on the blog, we can post something that we find that is helpful, a helpful visual for this. Yeah. Um, and what that is, is just talking about the process of the cell division when that sperm and that egg meet. So a huge transformation is taking place with cells dividing and creating additional cells. These cells are known as blastomeres, and they form a solid ball of 12 to 16 cells that is called the morella. The morella morella enters the uterus about how many days after fertilization, Rosalind? Ooh, you're quizzing me, huh? Well, good thing I have notes right in front of me uh, so that I can sound like I'm uber smart. Uh, Courtney, it's exactly four days after fertilization. At that time, intracellular fluid increases and a central cavity forms. And what was once a zygote is now called a blastocyst. The blastocyst is what implants in the endometrium of the uterus. Another question I have for you, Rosalind. All right. Is shoot. how many layers are there in the uterus? There are three layers to a uterus, an endometrium, a myometrium, and a parametrium. So then what is it called if the blastocyst implants outside of the uterus and not in the endometrium that is called an ectopic pregnancy so anytime an implantation occurs outside of the uterus it is an ectopic pregnancy and often that happens in the fallopian tubes and so you if you are working with somebody that does not have a confirmed interuterine pregnancy or you'll see it written as IUP and they are having bleeding with severe cramping um, are like feverish or complaining, even sometimes the pain can refer up into their upper right shoulder. These are complaints that you want to take seriously and have a person immediately evaluated for an ectopic pregnancy. That is exactly right. And um, one important thing just to note here is that an ectopic pregnancy is a huge topic that we are not going to be able to fully cover on this episode. So we will do the service of having an entire episode of it in the future. It really does warrant a lot more investigation and a really full understanding. Statistically, about um, 20 
out of a thousand pregnancies are an ectopic pregnancy, and it is the leading cause of maternal mortality in the first trimester. And so I learned from one of my preceptors, uh, the saying, and I'll never forget it, like never let the sun set on an ectopic pregnancy. You want to take um, reports of, like we talked about the symptoms of bleeding and pain in an early first trimester, in the first trimester really seriously, and be sure that you're not dealing with um, an ectopic pregnancy. What a powerful quote, never let the sun set on an ectopic pregnancy. Right. You do not want to have a woman hemorrhage to death on your watch or ever. So I don't want to end the podcast on ectopics. So let's go back to something that we should have talked about or addressed earlier, and that is epigenetics. Yeah, great. Epigenetics. I am so intrigued by epigenetics in this study of uh, that's really quite new and exciting and really looking at gene expression and how genes are turned on and turned off throughout our lifetime and how that impacts our health and why things get turned on and off throughout our life. And I came across this article online. It's in the Smithsonian Magazine. You can Google it. It's called Dads Pass On More Than Genetics in Their Sperm. And it's a recent article. It's from July of this year, 2018, when we're recording this. And it shows that we talked about the men and the sperm passing on those 23 chromosomes that come together with the ovum. And um, the men and their sperm are passing on not only genetic material, but non-genetic material. And so if you've listened to that preconception episode, when we talked about not only talking to a woman about her health and the considerations that she should be taking in when preparing to get pregnant, but also the importance of her partner's health and talking with him about living a healthy lifestyle, that there's really, that there's science behind it and that men pass on non-genetic material in their sperm that can contribute to an offspring having high blood pressure or diabetes or all sorts of different health issues down the road. So exciting new research being done. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm looking forward to reading that article. I have not seen it before. All right. So I think that is the end of the topics that we have to cover today. Thanks, Rosalind. Yeah, thanks, Courtney. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what we're doing, there are a few ways you can support us. The best ways are telling your friends about Midwife Life and getting involved. You can also leave us a comment, write a review, and share your thoughts and experiences. If you haven't already, be sure to like Midwife Life on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at A Midwife Life. We post midwifery questions of the day, funny memes, and well, all sorts of other things that you don't want to miss out on. We also have a website, midwifelife.com, where we have a blog and we are adding resources and information all the time. All right. Thanks for being with us on this crazy journey of a midwife life.